Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org. I'm Lonnie Lowry. I'm a bodybuilder and a nutrition and exercise physiology professor. Hello, people. Rob Fortress Fortney here. I'm an editor, journalist, uh, former competitive bodybuilder, and a uh, powerlifter, soon to compete again. Woo! And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a competitive powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, founder of liftforhope.org and strengthguild.com, and I guess new owner of Strength Guild Topeka. Yeah. <laughs> right on. You know, we've got to start with that one. We, we, we've got a little, just a little bit of news, some, you know, some cool emails we got from people. We, we've been getting some emails from some great guys and some real kooks. <laughs> but but we'll, we're going to focus on the positives, go with no hate here. Um, but Phil, you should go first, man. Tell, tell the listeners about your, uh, your gym and your uh, little waiver and stuff. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Yeah, yeah, well, essentially, you know, we're opening the gym and starting out kind of small. I've got a five-acre place here, and we're starting at one of my buildings. Um, we're right outside of town. So it's going to be your basic, I'm going to have powerlifting classes, Olympic lifting classes, and then general strength and conditioning, stuff like that. Um, building an obstacle course type things, you know, where you got like a mile through the woods going over walls and stuff like that. Um, but I just Are you going to have like wild animals? Oh yeah, I got chicken. <laughs> That's one of the stations. Slay the moose. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was <laughs> you know, you've seen Rocky. I got like thirteen chickens. One of my deals was I was going to have the guys like they see how long it takes them to catch all of them. Catch uh, <laughs> uh, chickens. <laughs> you know, and I just sat down and had to write my waiver last night and just wanted to cover everything. So I figured I'd, I'd read it to you guys, but uh, it turned out pretty good. Um. So it's the Strength Guild Waiver of Liability for Gym Participation. It's uh, Brace I, we, <laughs> Brace yourselves, everybody. <laughs> I, we hereby understand and acknowledge that training programs, coaches, participants involved, and events at Strength Guild Topeka and the whole five-plus acres of this house may expose me to many inherent risks. The risks include uh, but not limited to accidents, illness, and death. I understand and accept that equipment will likely fail and will likely harm me. Then instructors will insult me, curse at me, and sexually harass me. <laughs> that I will be exposed to violent and explicit language on a regular basis. That I'm more than likely to be injured than not. That if I am injured, it's less than likely anyone will help or even call for assistance, and I accept this. I will be exposed to deadly and contagious diseases, including all known flus, STDs, and viral illnesses. STD. <laughs> that an instructor and or other participants will likely harm me, both on purpose and by accident. That the lifts and actions I am asked to do have a high risk of harming me, including but not limited to fracture, herniation, internal bleeding, vomiting, stroke, deep abrasions, lesions, blisters, rhabdomyolysis, cancer, puncture, blindness, explosive diarrhea, involuntary <laughs> urination, high and or low blood pressure, and any and all known illness and injury. That I'll be asked to perform lifts in a perfect manner at all times. And if I do not, it is of my own choosing and risk. And if I do, it is of my own choosing and risk. In either case, I am likely to get fatally injured. <clears throat> that I will be exposed to harmful chemicals of any and all types, including radiation. That I will be exposed to human and animal feces and will likely get <laughs> salmonella, cholera, Ebola, MRSA, and more. That I will be nude myself at some point, willing or not, in front of large groups of participants, and I will witness others who become nude. That I will be attacked by an animal, that I will be attacked by an animal, be they wild or pets owned by Strength Guild Topeka, including but not limited to dogs, chickens, coyotes, and moles. That I will be filmed, photographed, and recorded, and it will be used in advertisement and for profit. That my children and any other human and or animal I bring with me to visit will be subject to the same above as well. If I choose to let them come and watch, um, I we hereby acknowledge my responsibility in communicating physical or psychological concerns that might conflict with my participation in activity. I we acknowledge that I am physically capable of performing the physical activity that I choose to participate in, and I take full responsibility any and all injury and illness or psychological damage damage I had prior to joining Strength Guild Topeka, and any and all illness, injury, and psychological damage I received thereafter 
on my own accord or by my own actions or others at Strength Guild Topeka. After having read this waiver and knowing these facts and in consideration of acceptance of my participation in Strength Guild Topeka furnishing services to me, I agree for myself and anyone entitled to act on my behalf to hold harmless, waive and release the Strength Guild Topeka, its officers, agents, employees, organizers, representatives, and successors of any responsibility, liabilities, demands, or claims in any arising from participation in Strength Guild Topeka training facilities. Yada yada yada. <laughs> you know, I think you got it covered there, man. I got everything covered. Somebody signs that one. You know, you know, you got a loyal team member, I guess. <laughs> you know, as you're reading that, I can't help but think, you know, it's basically you're saying these people are, you know, anybody at the gym, they're going to be expected to make perfect PR lifts. You know, while I don't know, bleeding from the mouth, standing knee deep in shit <laughs> with explosive diarrhea, <laughs> while you beat on them. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I just wanted to cover everything. Oh. So. <laughs> I'll tell you what, yeah, people making good lifts under those under the, that uh, heinous environment, right on. <laughs> World champion. World uh. champion. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it should be fun. We're going to kick off. Um, we're officially opening September 1st, and I'm having a, a, an opening competition and barbecue the 10th. Um, we're inviting people over. Uh, any member, it's 5 bucks. Any non-member, it's 15 We're doing max... Max triple in squat, max triple in press, and then a 400-meter farmer's carry. Whoever wins that, each man, each woman, somebody wins a, a month of training. So, Cool. Yeah, fun way to kick it off. And then right after that, shortly after that, I'll be doing a, uh, well, you guys remember my lift for hope. I'm going to do a flip for hope. We're taking a, a large tractor tire, and there's a big park here. It'll be about four and a half miles or so. We're going to flip the tire that whole distance to raise money for Camp Hope. Wow, that's a great so, idea. How that's so much better than running umpteen miles on behalf of some charity. Yeah, exactly. You know, so and it, we're going to get out there. It's right on the main street, so um, lots of traffic going around, and just see a bunch of people flipping a tire. So <clears throat> that's awesome. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, in other news, let's see. <clears throat> One of the cool emails we got. Actually, I got this. Uh, through sort of academic channels, but uh, I'll, I'll omit his last name, but a, a great guy, a, a grad student, Corey, and he just said that he's been listening to Iron Radio for a, a few years now, and he absolutely loves it. He said he loves the topics, the discussions, guests, the whole idea of the show. Uh, he said, every time I listen to it, it makes me want to start learning more immediately. You know what? As a teacher, that's bringing a tear to my eye, buddy. Um, the reason you came to mind, though, is because you're in academics, and you know he had some questions for me in that regard. But so, uh, thank you, Corey. I mean, that's exactly the idea here. Is he actually says here also that um, you know you don't all only know what's out there, but you actually try to apply it, and I think that's key. And I know Mike Nelson has said this before. He's a contributor here, and um, and I've said it for ages. But you know, knowledge isn't power. Applied knowledge is power. And that's what we're trying to do. There's no reason that, you know, the sciencey stuff should be relegated to a couple of dozen academics, you know, when there's a lot of highly intelligent athletes and coaches and trainers and, you know, they want access to some, you know, recent news blurbs or, or whatever it might be, recent research findings or, or what have you. And, you know, it does, it also means that you can be smart and also sort of be, uh, have a little Neanderthal in you like we all do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. So no. anyway, yeah, one of one of several really interesting emails that we got uh, just recently. So yeah, we cool definitely stuff. appreciate all that uh, communication, people. So yeah. uh, keep it coming. Like I said, man, we we like to hear. Like I like I've said in the past, even if you want to, you have a particularly cool uh, workout uh, session that you want to let us know about, or something funny that happened, or or anything, any observations pertinent to uh, the iron sports or whatever, uh, just just send us an email, man. We uh, we love it. Yeah. Yeah, or even I'll, I'll give a shout out if you're, you know, generally we tape these things Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I usually have my Facebook open. If you got something to say and you think of it while we're on the air, pop it up. If I see it, I'll I'll give a shout out of it if we got time. Uh-huh. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, we get a lot of emails, and I apologize for people who have sent me some stuff, and I, you know, we don't read them all. Really, it's totally random. Uh, I think what we what we read, you know, but uh, yeah, lots of good stuff from people about all kinds of topics. So. And, and that's cool. And by the way, uh, you guys, I don't have it even told Rob and Phil this yet, but um, w- we are a hair's breadth away from breaking our 2010 download record now. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, oh. so it, I, I, w- I would really love to see that happen by the end of August. So we've got, like, what, five, six days? 
I would love to see us break the bandwidth record. So download the show. Well, don't download it twice. Don't falsify it. But (laughs) (laughs) encourage someone else to give it a try and listen to it because uh, I'm very stoked by that. So, yeah, big download numbers. Almost 9,000 a month we're peaking at now with people, you know, individual episode downloads. So, uh, yeah, exciting. Good stuff. Okay. So our topic today and I was going back and forth with, again, some others on email with this, but I want to address a topic because this is an ongoing thing that crops up on a lot of top bodybuilding sites and power sites, and it's basically the idea of, is overtraining real? Now, you might think, well, sure it is, or maybe you're one of those people who think, no, it's all exaggeration and that kind of thing. So if you want to rephrase it, we could say how prevalent and serious is overtraining, and I've actually got some data I'll share with you guys, uh, and I know Rob and Phil have thoughts on this, but the reason for it is because of the trend that I've seen lately that you could, you, uh, lots of, especially bodybuilding sites, I don't know if the power sites are as bad, but they're really poo-pooing this notion that if you are, you know, claiming you're overtrained, that nobody really overtrains, you're just a big wuss puss, and, uh, you know, suck it up, and you can train three times a day, and and we're going to talk a little bit about how some of those coaches get away with that without driving their, you know, athletes into the ground, uh, or if they're driving them into the ground and that sort of thing. So, Phil, you and I probably talked about this earliest just, you know, in the past several weeks. Yeah. So what's your thought? If for, just answer maybe the question first. It, do you think overtraining is a real phenomenon? Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, I think, I think anybody who's, Who's ever experienced it will know it, um, and I'm also of the mindset that I think you, everybody should maybe reach that point once, um, so they just know how far to how far they can physically go before they need to back down. Yeah. Um, That's brutal, but good advice, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, you'll you'll know it. I mean, when you start losing sleep, getting irritable, your your hunger's gone, your you know your temperatures up, or in all kinds of number of things, and your performance is going down despite working your butt off. Um, you know, there there wouldn't be all these, uh, you know, actual physical and medical, uh, you know, evidence to it if, it if it wasn't real, I wouldn't think. Right, and I'll tell you, from the science side, there's whole books. One of my favorite books is by an author named Ken Todd. It's called Enhancing Recovery. I think it's human kinetics. It might be Lippincott. So much for getting uh, sponsorships from these <laughs> different publishers. But Ken K-E-N-T-T-A, uh, and he did some research, and there's another guy named Kelman, uh, and they did a lot of work with this kind of stuff. And let me give you some statistics here. But before I do, the reason that it's hard to define overtraining, and I think why a lot of some of these gurus and coaches online say it doesn't exist, is because it is sort of vague. Like this, there's no one blood marker. I can't do a blood draw out of your arm and say you've got this or that molecule in your blood. Ergo, you're stale or overtrained. It's a collection of symptoms, and Phil, you made me think about this when you were just saying that, because it ranges from sort of difficulty getting to sleep at night to your appetite fades, your desire to go into the gym, you know, trails off, uh, your intensities or, you know, your lifts just aren't there. And in fact, if there's a single biggest marker, it's probably a 10 or 15% drop in your lifts, you know, your yeah. nervous system shot. I mean, if things go bad enough, you can start getting upper respiratory tract infections, you know, head colds and, mm-hmm. and other things like that. <clears throat> uh, for me, I, I actually have experienced what's called overtraining syndrome, and that's a severe form of overtraining. Uh, and basically what that is is that's an over. you're so stale, and you've got the head cold, and I remember I had cold sores. Yeah. I, I felt like I had mono. You know, I laid on the couch for practically a month. And basically, overtraining syndrome is a state where you're so burnt that you really, even with two weeks of rest, in fact, up to eight weeks of rest, won't get you back fresh. So, you know, that's a very serious kind of clinical condition uh, when you drive yourself in not just a little bit of overreaching, you know, but actual full-blown overtraining syndrome. That's bad stuff. But uh, let me give you two little statistics here. Uh, this is from Ken Ta, International Journal of Sports Medicine, 2001. 37% of young athletes experience staleness. So, again, we're talking a 10 or 15% drop because of too much training intensity and volume, right? Because that's the scale that we're looking at, intensity and volume. You can't really overdo both. Um, 
and here's another one. Overtraining and staleness is reported more for individual sports, 48% of athletes in individual sports, than for team sports, where it's 30%. And that's, again, Ken Ta in 2001. So, And here's another practical tip for people. An athlete failing to recover within 72 hours has reached an overreached state. And that's Ken Ta and Hansen, Sports Med, 1998. So if you're really sore, your lifts are down, you know, 72 hours. So basically we're talking three days later after a brutal workout. You're not bounced back. You know, you're probably in an overreached state. And it might be time to back off so you don't end up with overtraining syndrome or something yeah. like that. I think that... Um for for the duration of my lifting career, I think I've been always, quite honestly, battling um, being in, in an overtrained state, to be honest with you. And certainly as far as actually suffering from being overtrained, I think, I think I've been probably overtrained um, for at least 50% of the last 25 years, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, going to what you said, Lonnie, about the, you know, it, it, the prevalence of this is, seems to be greater amongst, uh, in the, you know, um, athletes who participate as individuals in the individual pursuits. Um, that might be obviously point to the, the fact that maybe a lot of, uh, more individual type sports are more heavily, uh, sided towards the performance, like the f- athletic performance versus the skill, um, skill set. Um, right. performance of a sport but yeah I, I I go with Phil and you for sure I don't, I don't see how anybody who really is any um, um, experienced athlete would, would deny the fact of that and, and of course I know what you're saying about the whole kind of trend lately because I certainly have seen it online and so forth guys there's certain like you know uh, northern European uh, training methodologies and so forth that have been trump- talking about how um, you know you, you go for a max squat every day and this type of thing and there's a, you know it's your body will soon adapt to it and so forth right. um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not buying into that I mean I would like to buy into it because I, you know I like any one of us I mean to train as long as we have you love training and I mean if I could <laughs> if I could you know if I could do that every day that'd be wonderful but um, certainly, like I said, I mean, when somebody like me who has such fire burning for training feels so listless to do anything, and that's, I would say, the, the preeminent kind of a symptom that I myself uh, demonstrate when I know that I'm kind of getting to that point is this listlessness. You know, you're kind of just, uh, yes, everything's yes. very, you're very dull. There's no, when you lift, there's no explosion in the lift. It's more like a, a grind versus a pop kind of a thing. Um that's a good you know, way to put it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I always tell guys that, like, if you're lifting, there's a difference between lifting, uh, you know, your, you say you're, you know, you're deadlifting 400 pounds. There's a difference between, okay, I got 400 pounds and I know I should have gotten 400 pounds versus I got 400 pounds and I felt the pop. I felt the explosion, you know what I mean? Um, dragging it up versus, you know, pulling it up hard. Those types of things. And so yeah, I, it's very interesting to me. And I remember years and years and years and years ago, um, the Barbarian Brothers, who I've mentioned many times because they're one of my, you know, um, original influences, uh, David and Peter Paul. I remember a quote from them once, and I took it to heart when I was quite young. And they said, "There's no such thing as overtraining, just undersleeping and undereating." And at the time, I thought, you know, because they were my heroes, and I was 17 years old. Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. But you know, the, the fact that remains is that is that that just is not true. Um, I yeah. wish it. Well, I wish it was true. <clears throat> I wish you could just eat a few pizzas and everything was fine. Um, certainly you can speed the process along. Rob, I know you remember, was it John Perillo was a guru, like a yeah, training yeah. nutrition guru. He wasn't a licensed nutritionist or anything, but he, that was his thing too, right? Which is, it's, it's under eating. There's no such yeah. thing as overtraining as under eating, but I think he's overlooking some of the biological realities that, like if you've got swelling through a joint or, you know, that might fix some of the depletion, like glycogen depletion, or maybe even a, reset a few hormones. But if you've got like tissue damage, that takes probably five days or so. That was my dissertation, actually. I looked at this stuff. Uh, it could take about five days or so, you know, for the rep- recovery process to sort of get underway. So there's sort of tissue realities here. Well, and you can't just yeah. eat more and that just doesn't happen. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well, well, then you got, you know, nervous system suppression and everything else. I mean, well, and that was what I was just, just going to yeah. say. The food you do eat doesn't even enter the muscle tissue very well. It's been well documented by people like, well, Delaguila, Kevin Yurashevsky. I can go down a whole list where... You know, sore, damaged muscles, and I don't mean torn, but you know, uh, microtrauma. Right. They right. don't take up 
glucose from the blood very easily. They don't replenish their glycogen very easily. So I would think if you try to just pound down at least carbohydrates in that state, that's probably a dumb idea. So anyway, I'm sorry, Rob. Well, no, I was just about to say, because I mean, Phil, you brought up something that I was actually going to bring up myself. Um, cer- certainly the whole idea that, you know, uh, the, the westernized hypertrophy training kind of mandate, which it mostly has been up until probably only maybe a decade or so ago, um, has been the whole idea of just like like you were saying earlier, Lonnie, the whole you know that that window of you know a, a muscle on average you know forty eight to seventy two hours before it's ready to retrain and stuff. But none of this has ever taken into account nervous system, right? Yeah. Um, and certainly for athletes who are more performance based with weights, um, you know, uh, people who are not bodybuilders, because uh, you know bodybuilding you can go and train hard, and, and you know it's there's so many different factors that that, that can determine whether or not that particular workout was quote-unquote successful or not, right? Did I get a pump? You know, it doesn't really matter how much I was working out with as long as, you know, I, you know, whereas if you are performance-based, you know, and you're in the gym as a powerlifter or Olympic lifter or whatever you are, um, you know, you you really notice a hit. I mean, it's not, you can't start judging it. Well, it was a good workout because I got a good pump. If you're a powerlifter, you don't give a rat's ass. You know, you're bench pressing and you're like, well, uh, you know, I was 50 pounds off <laughs> off my mark of what I was supposed to do, but God damn it, I got a good, you know, pec pump. It, it, that makes no damn difference. So um, it, it matters for not. So, I mean, the whole idea that, you know, we have to start thinking more in terms of not just, you know, um, like I say, is your muscle sore? Is it, but, but the, you know, the, the, the electrical system of the body and, and the kind of the suppression that is, and that's the word that you use, Phil, the suppression of the nervous system that happens with, you know, with the, you know, very performance-based um, lifting. Well, let me let me follow that up then for both of you guys, because my perception was what a lot of these sort of coach guru type guys online are saying is that if you focus on explosion and almost Olympic lifting style, uh, you can use very heavy loads and you could do that, you know, two, three times a day. And because there's not much of an eccentric component, you know, lengthening, breaking contractions for listeners, then you can get away with it. But what you're saying is saying, yeah, that might be true with the muscle soreness. But do you think you'd be equally frying your nervous system? Well, I, I, that's actually a good point that you brought up. Yeah. I think I think you originally brought that point up. When I was talking to you just last week or something like that, but it's certainly worth know worth thinking about because yeah, I mean when you look at any videos that might be on YouTube or so forth that demonstrate some of the lifters that are you know um, championing a lot of the things I was referring to ten minutes ago, yeah, you'll notice that their squats are very 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 Olympic style. You know, like in other words, you know they're they're basically dropping into the hole, that kind of yeah. thing. There, there's yeah. really not a lot of control going on there. Um, yeah. I mean, and all these things, of course, is none of this is, is you know, uh, being negative towards anybody's, you know, way of training. Um, there's very specific ways people train, and, you know, there's there's application for all these different types of ways of doing it. But, but yeah, you also have to definitely consider the whole fact about, you know, people who do, um, you know, exercise a certain degree of control at the very least, um, you know, in the... In the Eccentric or negative part of a lift, and because those those definitely do factor into it. I mean, oh yeah, said, well, that's why negatives have always been considered exactly. an intensity technique, right? I mean, no, you don't I, do those every time, yeah. right? I mean, and I think that is huge. I mean, you look at I think you know successful countries like the Bulgarians and stuff have proven that. Yeah, but it's apples and oranges when you're talking, you know, a snatch versus a deadlift. It's not just the eccentric portion that's different; it's the concentric as well. You know, it may take me. You know, I've had a deadlift last 16 seconds. <laughs> right. An Olympic right. lift is right. going to last right. a, 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 maybe a second. You know, yeah. Phil, you know, and I, miss... I, I wouldn't even have understood that until lately. So, you know, I've been, <laughs> listeners, I've been trying to deadlift lately. And if I, I'm not very good at it, right? So people will laugh. But if I go 365 or heavier, my deadlifts are like slow motion. But I, I'm starting to think that's just how that lift happens. Let me tell you, know? you something. <laughs> and, and Phil taught me, Phil taught me this a couple of years ago. Um, I remember in so many words, Phil, you told me in an email, you were saying that true limit training deadlifting, whether it's the absolute one rep or it's, it's a grinding kind of thing. And I think one of the main things that people have to learn about deadlift and, and to be very strong on deadlifts is this whole idea that, again, in opposition to things like, you know, if you start coming up out of a squat and, you know, things slow down and all of a sudden you stop halfway up. 
no amount of willpower <laughs> or anything is going to get you up. You know what I mean? It's it's just, if it stopped, it stopped. You're done. Whereas in deadlifting, you have to get used to this thing where you really have to get um, used to the idea of the fight. You know what I mean? Just yeah. because a bar doesn't immediately start moving. Well, the leverages or, are different. You know, yeah, when you're you, halfway through a, a halfway through an up upward motion of a squat, you do not have the leverage. If your muscles are done, you're done. And I think in a deadlift, for me, it feels like leverage is more on your side, so you you can grind through that. You know, I, don't I mean, not to take this topic away from what we're talking about, but yeah, what you say, Phil, is absolutely true. I mean, you're talking about a 16 second pull. I mean, I mean, just think of the think of the think of the amount of physical trauma and effort that is going into 60 seconds of yeah. And like like you say, you know, you're you're not pulling like a you know, I mean, that's that's six, seven hundred plus pounds that you're pulling over a period of 15, 16 seconds. I mean, that's that's horrific. Right. You know? So what we're saying here back on top, like Rob was saying, there's no way you're going to do that three times a day. There's no, no way no. Phil's going to pull 700 plus off the floor, you know, for multiple reps several times a day. And let me give you a actual a, a name here. Andy Fry is a very famous researcher. He looked at a lot of overtraining, and he would drive college students into overtraining in sort of an ethical way. I mean, he wasn't hurting them, per se, like what Phil might do in his gym. <laughs> but, but he did it because you might be asking, what does it take? Well, he had them do, if, if I'm remembering right, I'm doing this from memory, but 10 one-repetition maxes in the bench every day for a week. And at the end of that time, their hormones were different. Their nervous system was firing different. You know, he was clearly showing that they were over-trained, you know, overreached at the very least. So, yeah, so that's basically 10 one-rep maxes. Imagine every day for a week, even even though it's it's a little bit apples and oranges because, let's face it, you get a bunch of fresh college guys who are just sort of recreational lifters. That's not the same thing as 10 one-rep maxes for the three of us. You know what I mean? Like I'm thinking about Phil with the you know seven eight hundred pound deadlifts. I can't even imagine. I mean, and imagine ten of those a day for a week. Wrong. You know. And yeah. And well, what I was gonna say, you know, you go back to the you know the Bulgarians and stuff that people like to really quote on. It's they yeah they would go up. Not they wouldn't work off like gym maxes or competition maxes. It was daily maxes, and it was daily maxes with Olympic lifts. So, I mean, if you miss a snatch, it's usually, oh, I left it a little out front. I left it, you know, whatever. Right, right. You know, wasn't I ground on this thing for 18 seconds and didn't get it. Okay, now I'm going to do 10 lifts at 90%. No, it ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was okay. I missed that. Now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to gracefully throw this 90% weight over my head a bunch of times. Yeah. Right? You know, it's it's a little different. I mean, well, it's a big difference. But um, Well, let me ask you this then, Phil. Do you think that the coaches, again, especially the bodybuilding guru coaches that are doing this, is that going to make people wildly hypertrophied? Is Olympic-style training with the explosion two no. times a day? They're going to get more volume, you know what yeah. I mean? But is that going to make them huge? I, I wouldn't guess so. I don't think they're going to get it unless they're they're just not going to have that much time under tension. I think they're going to be better. They're going to perform better. They're going to be quicker. They're going to be more explosive. But right. I, I, right. it's nothing I'd prescribe for, you know, getting big i mean there's a reason why power lifters don't lift that heavy when they're looking to add weight you know it's more just getting a bunch of reps and a bunch of time under tension absolutely and and i think this comes to a very important um point in the discussion um the whole idea that i mean actually just the other day in the gym some guy was asking me about this and i was saying you know for obviously there's so many different ways of training for bodybuilding and so forth but i i think most people would agree at this point that by and large, a certain amount of volume is required, um, you know, to maximize, maximize hypertrophy, you know, muscle, muscular growth. And I said to the guy, I said, it's, it's a very, it's a, but when you're talking about volume, it's a, it's a very fine line. You know what I mean? Cause, uh, cause I always, you know, you always hear the, you know, the classic cliched line, speed kills, right? Well, I always change it, you know, to our neck of the woods and always say volume kills. Because volume can either be your best friend if you're trying to grow, um, or it can be your worst enemy. It can kill you. So, and that is a real hard lesson to learn and to understand for yourself what constitutes too much volume. Yeah. Or, and, and like I say, I think Lonnie, you'll agree with me. I mean, 
the guys who build great huge biceps and stuff, there, there has to be a certain amount of volume going there. Like, and like Phil says, time under tension, absolutely. Volume, all, you know, the pump. I mean, although a pump's not necessary for growth, certainly it's a good indicator that you're, you know, doing things probably correctly towards right. that goal. Um, and yeah, I, and nutritionally, really, yeah. Right. So I think from a, you know, from a standpoint of, I think it's just important to bring this up because again, volume is, is a real tricky thing to talk about and yeah. try to, I mean, if you're a personal trainer for somebody, I mean, how, it's like when I used to do a lot of personal training, I'd always tell people, you have to be very vocal with the person and be very intimate with and detail with what you're saying because a personal, a trainer, a person training, you can't feel what you're feeling, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, and so when people think, oh, volume, what's too much volume? What's too little volume? What, what do you mean when you say volume? I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's a million and one different things, you yeah. know, and, and I think the very, the most important thing, uh, a trainer can do is understand the concept of volume and the benefit or, na- or non-benefit that it has. Um, and then from there, well, at least if you understand what that means, then you can start, you know, moving towards understanding how, you know, that applies to you, what's too much, what's too little. Well, I'm really thinking, kind of you know what, Rob, along those lines, I'm really thinking there's a big genetic component. You know, we, we look a lot at uh, nutrigenetics, you know, how some people have the genes to respond to different, you know, nutrients. I think it's the same thing with performance genetics and uh, medicine, sports exercise, that the, the uh, academic journal, once a year, I believe, or every other year, they actually have uh, a, an article devoted to just that, you know, to uh, performance genetics. Uh, but the point is, I think people respond differently to different levels of performance of uh, volume, rather. Right. And you know, and I think that's that's really important because you know we both know what, what was it the uh, like back in the Nautilus days they were going all the way down to one set. Is one set enough volume to cause wild hypertrophy? You know, mm-hmm. and um, well, the whole thing. I think most that, of us would yeah. agree it's probably not. You know, we shared some research actually through this site about a year ago that three sets looks like it's you know it might actually be roughly ideal for um, you know in a particular movement for protein synthesis. Uh, well, but anyway, just, yeah, it's yeah. going to be that sweet spot, right? And it's got to be genetic, I think. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about you know the Mike Menser thing, and of course Dorian took up the mantle on that whole thing, and. Mike Menser did the heavy duty. That was his kind of thing. And he took that from Arthur Jones, you know, and like you said, these guys on the Nautilus equipment, the one set kind of thing, you know, and there was that famous study from, I don't even know what that was, like late 70s or something. I, it was Casey Vieter, I believe. Remember? And he came in, they said, oh, you know, the, the infamous study where Arthur Jones, you know, <clears throat> they tra- trained Casey Vieter and he put like 42 pounds of muscle on in a month or something like that. And what, what no one ever seemed to, you know, until recently, suggest with these types of things is you're talking about a person first of all who's gaining back what he already had, and second of all, these are people um, using lots and lots of uh, you know supplements of different <laughs> different <laughs> nature, a different nature. So um, yeah, but I mean, there there definitely is a certain degree of stimulation that has to go on with the muscle, and certainly like like Phil says, I mean, in in muscle growth hypertrophy training that that has to deal with a certain, you know, you have to throw two things in there. You have to throw a certain amount of time under tension, and that could, you know, however that's achieved, whether it's achieved from tons of sets and volume or, you know, um, lots of compensatory acceleration type techniques or, you know, and, and intensity is the other factor, right? Intensity versus which kind of correlates with what we're talking about anyway, right? Uh, maximum amount of volume in smaller and smaller amounts of time. I mean, if you can, you know, lift 15,000 pounds in, in a lower body workout, you can do it in 45 minutes. Um, you know, I think all but, you know, um, all but a very few would, would respond to that. Some, but again, how long can you do that for? Yeah. You know, how long can, I mean, anybody can, and I always use the fur, um, phrase, get the let out. Sometimes you go in the gym and you just want to quote unquote get the let out. You know what I mean? And just do that kind of psychic, psychotic, you know, masochistic, you know, barbaric training session. No, but, and I think. But how long can you maintain that? You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's, you have to be realistic about that and kind of know where you are on that plane. Like Lonnie's saying of where, what kind of person you are as far as what, what is your, your tolerances and what is your, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's where it gets problematic. I mean, I think it's when you start, when you start talking frequency, intensity, and volume. Um, 
each of those, you know, on their own are great. You know, if you want to train frequent, fine, but you, you've got to keep the intensity and the volume in check. Or if you want to train a lot of volume, you need to keep the, you know, the frequency and, and intensity in check, right. vice versa. You start mixing all three of those. And right, especially you know what I, I don't know what you guys think, but I, I would say especially jumps in the three of those shouldn't be more than about fifteen or twenty percent, you know, uh, every two weeks or something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Now, no, what do you gonna, mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? I don't mean like percent one rep max, but I mean like you know if you're, let's say you're in uh you're early in a linear linear periodization cycle, right, where yeah. the intensity is going to go up over the next couple of weeks. Right. And your reps are going to go down, obviously, okay. you know. But if you're if you're kind of doing reverse linear periodization, let's say, and you know you're actually going to let the intensity ebb and you're going to increase the volume. Right. I wouldn't say you know don't go don't do ten reps this week in all your lifts, and next time try fifteen or twenty. You'd go ten up to twelve. I'm just trying right. to make the point that you're gonna you're making realistic. Uh, increases in one of these, and like Phil said, it's often at the expense of the other. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. It's uh yeah, and every once in a while, like Rob said, you know, yeah, get in and let the let out, but you can't do that each and every session. You're gonna notice real quick you burn out. And I mean, yeah. you know, one thing you were touching on then, Rob, was you know, pharmaceuticals or, or supplements or whatnot, and you know, and you guys mentioned the earlier, it's not overtraining, it's it's uh, under eating. Yeah. You know, there's the other saying, you know, there's no such thing as overtraining, just underdosing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But, you know, but I mean, yeah. I know, and I know you guys do too, and we won't say any names. I, I know plenty of people that are openly on anything they can find. And those same people will agree that overtraining is real. You well, know, I think, I think even, there's uh, several reasons. I mean, I think some of the things like, uh, you know, people talk about how testosterone levels fall or cortisol levels rise. That's sort of an old school way to look at overtraining from a hormonal perspective. But yeah, when you when you've got a nice base of a gram or two of enanthate <laughs> that, that you're resting on, you know, these little things don't. Or like even the joint inflammation or you know that sort of recovery kinds of issues. These things are much less of an issue, let's put it that way, you know, and then some people would look at this very negatively, like, oh, they're masking the damage and the depletion you're doing to yourself. But on the flip side, other people would say, no, that's enhancing my recovery so I can train more. So I, I don't know how to answer which side of that is, is a wiser way to look at it, except that maybe if somebody like that who's on anything they get their hands on, when they come off, uh, and even that's a relative term. But when they come off to, on some level, at least, are are their joints freaking out? You know, are they half the man they used to be? Or are they still roughly, you know, three quarters of the man they used to be? You know, that sort of thing. These might be ways yeah. that we can decide if if it was masking or actually enabling something good. I don't know. Well, and still, I mean, I think I think on a you know on levels, you know, I don't think there's a there's not a steroid to heal your central nervous system faster. You know, there's not a you know, there's not a to, to the amount of sleep and the amount of work you've done, you're still going to get beat. And, I mean, that's, a, you know, talking to – I know plenty of guys, like I said, they're at high levels in, in certain sports doing certain things that, you know, they all agree. You know, you still can only push it so far. And we're talking about the elite of the elite taking whatever they want. Um, I, I, I can't believe that anyone would say that it's not real. I mean, it, I would question – I would question their own intensity in their workouts. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I think right. it's like it's like the whole it's another excuse thing. But, you know, I do. I mean, let's face it. You could get cool uh, adaptations like nerve terminal branching, you know, where a, a nerve meets a muscle and and you can get some of these kinds of things from your, these very explosive lifts. But it oh, comes right. back to what you're saying. You know what? And one of the things that the three of us always sort of automatically do is we balance this out with some real world experience. And that's yeah. if, if I watch someone doing snatches all the time, he is not going to look like a power lifter. No. He's just not. No. You know? So, uh, yeah, yeah, you got to kind of balance this out. Listen, uh, if we can, let's take a quick break because I don't want to go over. We tend to, we've been go over just a little bit recently. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you guys, uh, this is a very tough question, but is, is recovery ability itself trainable? Just like you can get better muscles, can you actually become faster at recovering, you know, as an adaptation to exercise? But we'll be back in just a minute.
Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Uh... This is Lonnie Lowry and Phil Stevens and Rob Fortress-Fortney. And w- today we're actually tackling the topic of um, is overtraining real? Or maybe better put, how prevalent and serious is this uh, situation? Because there'd be some voices on the Internet that have you believe that, you know, you're a wussy, it's not real. Um, but on the flip side, you know, we don't want people whining that they're overtrained if, you know, they're training twice a week for a half an hour. Either you know they, doing curls on the squat rack, you know. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. So the question that I uh, I am going to pose here to you guys, and this is really tough, but is recovery ability itself trainable? Uh, so Phil was talking about how drugs can speed recovery. I think we all know that to some level, uh, at least tissue recovery. I don't know about CNS, like you said, that's mm-hmm. another can of worms. But can you actually become better at recovering over the years? What do you think? If I'll start off if you want. I mean, I, I absolutely think that your body, um, to you know, to, to the limits of its adaptive abilities in so many different ways, I think it would be foolish to assume that you don't, um, you know, develop a greater capacity for recuperating from, you know, highly intense traumatic type type physical. Um, um, efforts. I, I think it's. I, I certainly think that if you look at somebody who is only, you know, if you could inflict on somebody the kind of intensity um, and, and and again physical trauma that a, a world class or high level athlete, performance athlete, could do to themselves in an average intense session, and you could somehow magically inflict that on somebody who's not trained. I think you would uh, find this person beyond the fact that probably they have you know blown, torn everything and ruptured everything. I think you'd just probably find this person is almost beyond the point of being able to recuperate ever. Really, um, I think it's actually uh, amazing actually to think of how high-level elite athletes can recuper- recuperate from the kind of things that they put you know put upon themselves. Right. That's that's where I'm not sure. Um, you know, sure. I think we get. You know, sure, we'll be better at, you know, protein synthesis, stuff like that. We'll, we get better at handling glycogen, things like that. But I don't know because, you know, let's say I have a client comes in. It's their first day, and their max deadlift is 65 pounds, and my max deadlift is 800. We both go to that. You know, we are both working at 100% of our current ability. It's the new person generally is going to be healed and ready to go by the next training session. I'm going to be wrecked for a couple of weeks. So do we actually become better at Well no that's actually a really a really good point. My you know, my when only, you're new, yeah. When you're new, you can work at 100% of your ability and it's pretty neat how quick you bounce back and you actually progress. But this kind of goes to something we said a couple of weeks ago about how everything is not linear and how yeah. you know like like just the I mean the trauma that you inflict on yourself with the 800 pounds is so 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 far beyond what the other person did, maybe if you didn't have an, a, a more, you know, um, adapted recuperating system, 
maybe that 800 pounds, if it could hypothetically be placed on that person, would, would literally kill them. Oh, it likely would kill them. I mean, but um, I'm not sure it's the recovery ability that's enhanced, just uh, just our ability to, you know, perform. Right. That's enhanced. You know, our, our frame, our body, our muscles have, have, have become stronger to be able to handle a stimulus. I'm not sure our recovery ability has become that much better, aside from maybe our ability to, to, to shuttle nutrients and things like that. What do you right. think, Lonnie? Well, I think genetics and age are, are big deals. Um, Like, I am not as robust to high-volume heavyweight as Rob is. In fact, listeners, if we have even heard me go on about this, Rob does a a sort of intensity times volume level of (laughs) nonsense in the gym that I don't think anybody else, I've never seen. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, large amounts of weights over multiple sets, you know, so like if I see Rob, I don't know, I can't think of things you've done cr- that seem crazy to me, like three sets of 10 with 315 in the bench or, or f- you do five sets or of something similar. You know, that kind of stuff just blows my mind. But I, I can't do that. You know, I mean, I'll give you an example just from last week. Last week, I, I did some volume stuff. I thought to myself, I don't have enough volume in my training. So I did, I just did six sets of a dozen reps with 225 in the squat. And I got really sore. And you guys, that wouldn't surprise you. I mean, Phil was saying he did so many push-ups a couple of weeks ago, he got sore. Um, And then, unfortunately, I stuck to my schedule. I just don't know what I'm thinking. I've got to get my head around the power stuff a little bit more. But I stuck to my schedule, and, uh, what, two, three days later, I I had a heavy deadlift day. And my legs were torched, you know. (laughs) And that was just stupid. You know, I mean, I, cause I'm like, oh, the weights aren't, the, the, you know, the, the, the bar's not coming off the ground. But I, can, I, I was also literally palpably sore through my butt and my, like, my adductors, inner thighs, you know, posterior side, thighs, hamstrings, stinging sore. And then I stopped and I thought, listen, yes, Lonnie, you're about the lifts now over these next couple of months and not so much the individual muscle groups. But that was stupid. You just did this really high-volume squat thing. You know, and now you should have backed off. You know, maybe you should have focused on the. If you're going to focus on the squat, do that for two or three weeks and back off on the other lifts, right? Uh, you know, instead it, of it, trying to go balls to the yeah. wall on all three of the major lifts and stick to your schedule no matter what, and, because you know, I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, it's interesting, and and I'm only I'm only bringing this up because of something that both you, Lonnie, said and Phil said. Um, like, I remember when I did squat. A couple of years ago, I did, I, you know, quote, unquote, got the letter, and I went in, I thought, you know, I was, I, I didn't have anything pressing that day that I, so I thought, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, just have some fun. What, what haven't I done? I thought, well, I've never squatted 315 for 10, so it's 10. Okay, so we'll just do that. And you know what? Amazingly, I never, I didn't get even remotely sore from that. Dude, that blows my mind. I, uh, I didn't get one inch, one percent of, 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 um, See, that's what I'm telling people about you. You're, no, but, you know, well, maybe, I mean, that's, but maybe that's the 30 years under your belt, but it's also because, you know, you're built like a refrigerator. So. No, but, but I'm not, yeah, again, I'm not bringing this up to brag. I'm bringing it up. It's a, it's, a, it's a point that goes to what Phil's saying. Maybe it's not so much the recuperation, but your just ability to, um, to not only endure something, but to your body just to not really be surprised by it. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just that it's that that trained state, like I, we, you know, a, a, an individual that's very highly trained to what specifically it is that they do, you know, maybe it, it becomes less of a recuperation thing as the years go on for uh, you know a, 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 an advanced athlete. It, it's more the tolerance than it is the need to recuperate from. If that makes any sense. Well, I mean, you, if we love using those car analogies and stuff. So, I mean, like if you had a you know, you doing 315, uh, it'd be like a, a top fuel dragster idling at 100. You know, I could do it all day long. You know, yeah. when you've got a car that can do 400 miles an hour, going 100 is nothing. You know, so it's it's a very, it's a smaller percentage of, w- of what it can do. So, of course, it's not going to blow pistons and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, you throw 100, you you try and make a Prius go 400 miles an hour, and that thing's going to, it's it's done. It's it's going to look like a meteor on fire. Yeah, you know? right. So. But yeah, I mean, that's the original point again um, for p- people listening. The whole idea of overtraining, and I remember, interestingly, when I, in my first couple of years of training, I brought up the 
you know, that that's always been a kind of a buzzword, even as so back, far back in the 80s when I started training, you know, the whole overtrain thing. And I remember bringing that up when my father was in the room and he said, what do you mean overtrain? And I said, you know, you, he was like, how can you overtrain? Isn't that a good thing? Um, and that, that kind of goes to what people think, you know, when you talk about overtraining, who don't know anything about athleticism, right? And you have to really think that your body has a finite ability to do anything. You know what I mean? It, it's only going to tolerate so much, you know, and the, be, before you become ill or become injured or die. You know what I mean? I mean, we all have <laughs> limits of what we can endure, um, you know, uh, depending on who are, we are, um, you know, our age level, our fitness level, anything. Um, you know, we, we, any of us can, you know, you have a finite amount of times that you can be punched in the face before you get blacked out, right? I mean, it's just, that's the way things are. So if you look at things from a very pragmatic standpoint like that, again, it, it does, it would boggle my mind that anybody who understood the kind of the basic tenets of those types of things wouldn't understand that, you know, the, the whole, you know, what is overtraining, you know, the body's, you know, uh, a stress being put on the body that, you know, exceeds the body's, you know, reasonable bit capacity to recuperate from that. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like anybody could really argue against that there is definitely something to the whole idea of doing too much too soon, you know, and not allowing the body to, you know, to get back to a point where it's, you know, it's primed and ready to do things 100% again. Only on Iron Look Radio, at- only on Iron Radio are you going to hear squats and deadlifts. Uh, analogous to a punch in the face, to repeated punches in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at... How much you can take. <laughs> yeah, look at... I think, I think this is where you have to look at any sport. You know, any athlete knows that, you know, if, if overtraining wasn't real, then if I had a competition come up, I would train harder and harder and harder and harder up to the day of the competition. That's an Knowing that I would be at my best... You know, from training more, but you know, any athlete has a deloading period before a competition. I mean, there's a reason that that football players slack off in the gym once the season starts. Yeah. You know, you can only handle so much crap. You're right. You know, yeah, and, exactly. and you know, I'm right. As you guys know, I'm right in the in the, in the thrust of the last you know ten you know nine ten weeks of my you know pre meet training, and you know, like I'm just did, this is my third week. I'm taking the next week off, then two weeks on, a week off. Two weeks on, and then two weeks before the meet. I mean, and that is exactly what you're talking about, Phil. I mean, because it really is. I mean, you know, if if just training harder and more was going to benefit me, you know, you guys know that ex- that's exactly what I would be doing. Yeah. Now um, wait a minute, Rob. You said you're going to take two. You're going to taper completely for two weeks before the meet. Um, I might just do a couple light, uh, just movement things. Um, you know, a week and a half before, but you know, as far as just. Lifting anything of any relevance whatsoever? Yeah, I'm stopping completely two weeks before. Cool. I can see that. Wow. Yeah. And oh, well, my, well, Phil, Phil. I mean, that, that won't surprise Phil. No, I mean, my last heavy deadlifts are four to six weeks out. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I and I've heard that more and more. Um, I'm always interested to see how people taper. You know. So yeah, obviously yeah. tapering is good. But yeah, like deadlifts, like like Phil's saying, like I mean, if you train yourself to a certain point of, um, you know. Overtraining in the deadlift, which I, again, to kind of, to succeed to a certain degree in that, you have to. Um, so it might, it's, it's kind of a necessity. Certainly before you can then exhibit that as your absolute best, there has to be a period of, like, like Phil's saying, I mean, two, four, six, eight weeks, you know, of just stopping. You know what I mean? I mean, like, not going light, not going, but, but literally just stopping the movement. You know? I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, and that's, uh, you know, they don't stop training and they think, you know, okay, well, I hit 315 last week, I'll be able to hit this, you know, and it's like, you know, what I did last week, you know, the training I did yet this week in the gym on my deadlifts isn't going to show its teeth for a month or two. Yeah, yeah. You know, right, that's right. when I'm going to reap those benefits from it. Yeah. You know, it's not like my, when I was a beginner, you know, my first training session, I could go in and deadlift by the next week I had reaped benefits from that it's not that way now it takes all these sessions and and are the true benefits aren't coming for weeks so i mean the best thing you can do coming into a meet is is recover totally so you can express the strength you have yeah, right. yeah. rob i know you and i have discussed for people who are non-competitors uh even during periods of just months and months of just open training that for whatever reason, you got a little nagging injury somewhere else or this or that. You take a month off and you come back and your squat's higher than it ever was. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. and so 
Yeah, it's not like uh, certain other performance. Like a runner has to put in so many miles because mitochondria go up and down on literally a daily basis. But, yeah, you are not going to lose. And, again, you know what? You might actually see on a microscopic level, a molecular level, some uh, reversing. You know, obviously reversibility is a training principle. But for practical reasons, again, this is where you got to have some experience. But I think your squat's going to do nothing but go up most of the time. If you've been in hard training, you're probably, like Rob said, a little bit overreached at any given time. I mean, the research would even suggest it. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, taking that month off. Now, I'm not saying two months, you know, but, yeah, a month or maybe even out six weeks, I don't see anybody getting a lot yeah. weaker. You're probably going to do some real damage when you go in the gym next time in a good way, yeah. you know. You know, and that's why this is such, you know, the whole um, art of weight training, yeah. whatever discipline it is, within that framework that you, you know, pursue. Time is of the essence. For not for for so many reasons. You know, I mean you have got to, this is not something where, you know, you can you can you can really work hard at it for a year and kind of know exactly what's going on and how to do it and so forth. It is such a slow process. Um, even even, you know, in relative terms with the use of like pharmaceuticals and you know, hormone enhancement and that type of thing. I mean, you can't teach somebody this stuff. You know, this is something that people just have to experience and come to understand within themselves. And that happens after, you know, only after minimally, you know, four, five, seven, ten years. You know, I mean, you can't teach somebody these types of things. And that's that's where I think it was tough answering Lonnie's question about does our recovery ability get better? Because that kind of suggests that it gets easier as we get go along. Okay. And it. In my opinion, it, you know, you can screw up a lot when you just start and still make progress. The stronger and bigger you get, I mean, the more, the more you have to refine things and not do stupid stuff. And yeah, it is really, that, it, yeah. it'd be really hard to actually study because if you kept applying the same workout to someone, let's say once a year, you know, over an eight-year, ten-year, twenty-year period. The problem with that is that that workout is going to be a much lower percent of their one rep max. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, it'd be, yeah, you would have to be very careful in the way that you you designed that kind of a study. Because, like, you're, I see what you're saying, Phil. It, it would be really hard to, uh, you know, to control that and, and then see if the recovery yeah, is better yeah. or not because the percentages are just going to change so much. And then I don't, you know, I don't care what anybody says, you know, when, you know, let's say you've got a 1,000-pound deadlifter and you've got a 200-pound deadlifter. You know, if we take percentages even, let's say, you know, there was – what was it, uh, 10 sets of three at 80% was a big thing about five years ago. It was like, I'd love to see the 1,000-pound deadlifter do 10 sets of three with 800. It's <laughs> not. It's apples and oranges. You know, it's 800 freaking pounds. Yeah, we've talked about you know, that. And you know what? Don't work. We're, we're in, again, with the car analogy, but what Rob has long called the study of dragsters. You know, we're talking about dragsters, but how many? what's the percentage of dragsters of all automobiles? A tiny fraction yes. of a percent, you know, and so... Yeah. We're in uncharted territory here, so a lot of the stuff that you see, you know, like I see in introductory, uh, like exercise phys books that, uh, like 50%, no, what is it, um, you can do, yeah, 50% of your one rep max 10 times. Oh, I don't know. You know, these, <laughs> these proportions are going to change when you get yes. into dragster level. Yeah. You know yeah, what that, I mean? That, that could, and it's going to change just, just amongst the different movements, you know, like a, a bicep curl versus, like Phil saying, a deadlift. Oh, I mean, well, sure. Yeah, I right, mean, right. So, so it becomes so, you know, it becomes so variable. Um, and, you know, you, and using the car thing just for another second, because I always like to do this. Um, it, it, the car, the, the higher the performance of the car, you know, the greater the car's capacity to perform. Those cars are always being tuned. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, they race a drag car one That's a time, good point. Yeah. You know? And I mean, so so in in a way, the more, the better you are, you know, at doing it, whatever it is that you're pursuing physically, the, the, and the greater you advance, you know, in, within that realm, the, the greater care you need to take to, quote, unquote, tune your body yep. with nutrition and food and, like, rest. And, and like Phil's saying... You don't just go in the gym. Like when you're when you're young and you got nothing, you can go in and you know do anything and any you know what I mean. And, and it really makes no difference because your percentages overall, your weights are crap nowhere. It doesn't really make a difference. But when you have a certain ability, you have to 
really understand and set in mode, like what in detail, what it is on any given train day that you're going yeah. to do. You know, because you only have a certain amount of set things that, A, are relevant to what you're trying to do. Right, you know? no junk reps. Right. right. Yeah. So, you know, you don't want to be redundant in your training. You don't want to be, you know, it, there's no point in in doing more than you have to do. You know what I mean? And certainly from a standpoint of if you are lifting these monstrous weights, right? I mean, there is a certain amount of maturity and wisdom that has to come into how you're formatting your training session to best utilize what you have to reap, like, like Phil's saying, to reap the benefit of what that's going to mean two, three, four, six months down, a year down the line. So you become in, in essence a very much more finely tuned and, and need to be a finely tuned um, person and how you conduct all these things. Right. And you know what? If I can leave um, leave listeners or something, because I know we have to wind down here. Yeah, we is, about, yeah, just a second. Yeah, the, the tuning part, like Rob said, it's fine-tuning the workouts. It's also something that I've been very bad about. I'm not a dragster like Phil. Maybe a muscle car, but <laughs> but I'm um, I have been very remiss in the kind of constant tweaking and fine-tuning of my engine from a recovery perspective, you know, like we're saying that these cars get constant uh, love and attention because they're performance yeah. cars. They get new bolts and screws and belts and fluids and this and that. Right. And I have not done uh, really any soft tissue repair as I've gone along, you know, or, you know what I mean? Like the kinds of like um, active release therapy, just deep massage, any of that kind of stuff. I have tried to do a few things nutritionally. And if, if people are interested in that kind of stuff, maybe we'll do talk about it in the future. But it, even if you just do a quick literature review, you can see that a lot of things that help with recovery are usually antioxidants. And I don't just mean vitamin E and C, but like almost like the Mediterranean-style diet, things with like grapes, uh, healthier fats like olive oil and, and things like that, uh, nuts uh, like walnuts and uh, – you know, blueberries and, you know, all these kinds of things may actually have some CNS and peripheral nervous system recovery type things. There's some supplements as well. But mm. yeah, those are at least things that I have done, even if I haven't done enough on the, you know, the massage and maybe the stretching and the hot, cold contrast showers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But people should look into this. That book that I recommended on enhancing recovery by Kenta. I have no financial connection to that whatsoever, but they actually have something called the TQR, the Total Quality Recovery Approach, where you're literally putting back points in food, naps, you know, massage, hot, cold contrast, you know, um, baths yeah. and that kind of to try to pay back for the amount of uh, training that you do as like a, a your RPE, your rate of perceived exertion. So if you're like today's training was a 20 out of 20. Well, according to Kenta, you better put 20 points worth of recovery back in or right. you're, you're heading down a slippery slope. Oh, so yeah, any, just yeah. practical stuff there, you know. Yeah, yeah well, the whole, the whole idea that I always say, the harder you train, the harder you're going to have to rest. Yep. You know, and like, you know, when Saturday rolls around, you know, like, forget the club, man. No, you know, learn you, to be lazy. Yep. You better, rent, you know, rent a couple flicks, sit your ass down and, you know, eat a couple grease wheels. Like, that's it. Shut down. Yeah. Shut down. You know, be, be a mellow dude. You know, it's like, I always used to marvel that with, I told, uh, you know, I've told you many times, Lonnie, about Tom Platts, right? I used to marvel about how he was a champion of that. I mean, when he was so tranquil, when he was not training, it was alarming. I'm, t yeah. it's so laid back. And then as soon as he was in the gym, it was literally like his head was going to pop off. It was actually frightening, the intensity that, that you could see it in his eyes. But yeah. you, you you start really seeing that and correlating that, right? and you start seeing that amongst more elite performance athletes. That whole idea, like you say, to just disengage, man. You know, yeah. you're, you're you're an aggressive son of a bitch here, but here you're you're the perfect example of peace and tranquility. You know, well your your adrenaline's running so high, especially with that sort of sympathetic style of overtraining from intensity that you know we're talking about that you don't want to that drag that adrenaline into you know run and have an argument with your boyfriend or girlfriend, then go run, go pay the bill, and then go run here and run there, and then go out dancing all night, and you know, like you were saying, and drinking, or, you know, you've got to actually shut down. Yeah. Okay, guys. Good show, guys. Yeah, great show. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, 
please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the liter literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single-digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however. Obviously, I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what a, perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Phil Stevens here for IronRadio.org, StrengthGuild.com, and ChadAches.com to tell you about the Strength Refined Seminar with myself, Phil Stevens, and Chad Aches. Saturday, September 24, 2011, CrossFit Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. Strength Refined is a one-day course in refining your technique and proficiency in the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. It's going to be a long day. We'll squat, we'll bench, we'll deadlift, we'll do a Q&A, and then we're going to go heavy and go eat. For more information, go to www.strengthguild.com, click on the blog, go to Meet the Seminars, click on the Strength Refined Seminar, and it's all there. Hope to see you there. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.